Church, can we pray this morning? God, thank you for bringing us here today. God, thank you for your love for us. God, we give you our lives, we give you our heart, we give you our mind today. We ask that you would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would be thick in this place, teaching us, guiding us, loving us, prodding us on to love and good deeds, to be more like you. God, we sit in anticipation of what you're going to show us about who you are today and who we are in you. We thank you for bringing us here to Church Project this morning. And we give you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, thank you guys. Welcome to Church Project. We're glad that you are here. And for those of you that have been complaining about lights, ta-da! <laughs> we have the lights on. <laughs> If, if you're new to Church Project, uh, we've been going through the Bible. We've been going through Luke. We are going to wrap up Luke chapter 20. And if you do not have a Bible, it's important that you have a Bible. And so on the lamps to your right, on the lamps to your left, we have Bibles. If you don't own one, that's our gift to you. We want you to have that. Uh, that's why we tithe. That's why we bring money together to do things like be able to give Bibles out. That's a pretty good gift, isn't it? So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We'll bring that to you. Uh, Church Project, we're, uh, we're a fun little crew. We're a good-looking crew. Uh, we like to laugh. We like to have fun. So today in this place, I pray that, that you can just relax a little bit. Just shake it up a little bit. God wants to show you how much he loves you. How cool is that? God wants to show you how important you are to him today. He wants to show you who he is. And this is a lovely place as we go through scripture. But before we get into that, we need to get to the most important part of today. If you were here two weeks ago, uh, you think that I'm an idiot. <laughs> Peter's like, always, yeah. So, I said hyperbole. <laughs> Anyone notice that? Yeah, Jason's like, okay. And I not only said it once, I said it multiple times. And then people came up to me afterwards. They're like, you said hyperbole. I'm like, no, I didn't. I, I listened to the podcast. I actually did. So, now, what we're, we're not going to call it the Super Bowl anymore. We're going to call it the Superbole. Thank you. <laughs> I, just can't, I just can't say hyperbole. I, 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 welcome. If you are looking for a flawless place, you should probably get a cup of coffee and head on down the road. So... <laughs> That's the most important thing you're going to learn today. we got problems, right? Okay. Um, Luke chapter 20, verses 41 through 47. We're going, to, we're going to tackle six verses today. And these are some pretty hard verses if you've been reading or you read ahead. These are some pretty difficult, confusing verses. But I believe God wants to show us some incredible thing in these verses. And so we're wrapping up Luke chapter 20. We're going to hit chapter 21 starting next week. We only have three more chapters and we're done with Luke. And we've been in it for nearly two years. I love going through the scripture. We're not in a hurry, by the way. We're going to keep taking our time going through scripture. There's plenty of scripture and we've got plenty of time on this life. And so let's just see what God is speaking to us in our lives. And especially today as we go through these six verses. Uh, Luke chapter 20 verses 41 through 47. Let's read it together and then begin to see what God has for us. Verse 41. But he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand 
verse 43, until I make your enemy your footstool. David thus calls him Lord. So how is he his son? Verse 45. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, beware the scribes who walk around around in long robes and love greeting in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Huh. Anyone want to tackle this? Anyone ready to come up and give the message today? It could, be, it could be a little confusing, but it's not confusing at all as we begin to walk through this. Who's Jesus talking to in this passage to kind of set it up? He's talking to the Sadducees. The Sadducees, he's talking to the scribes. The Sadducees means, literally means, the righteous ones. They were the ones in charge of the temple. And they used questions. If you look in the previous passages, they, they used questions of authority, they use questions of taxation, and, and they use questions about the resurrection trying to trap Jesus. But they couldn't do it. They couldn't trap Jesus. In verse 39, if you want to look back just two verses in verse 39, um, they, Jesus asked them a question and gives them a point, and they said, well done, well said, teacher. We have no more questions for you. In verse 39, Jesus knew the right question, and he combines mixing truth with the reality of today. And even as we're looking at verse 41 right here, Jesus knows the right question to ask, and he mixes it with truth and the reality of today. Well, I I wonder, why didn't Jesus go at this point? as they've asked many, many questions. I wonder why he didn't go to them and say, listen, morons, you're so stupid. Like, you're not getting it. I've been saying the same thing over and over and over again. Why didn't he do that? Because sometimes in my life, I want to do that. Do you? I ever come across neighbors or people you're working with and you just don't understand where they're coming from. They live a different lifestyle than you do. And, and not saying morons are stupid, but sometimes if you ever come across people that they even have a different religion or they think differently than you do and you just don't understand where they're at. And so almost in our mind or in our heart, we begin to say they're, they're just different, so I'm going to stay away from them. Uh, they have a different lifestyle, so I'm just going to stay away from them. And, and I'm just going to stay in my neat little Christian bubble that I have going right here. And I'm going to stay with what I know. And I'm just going to any Any of you ever do this? What does Jesus do when he comes across people that are different than himself? That even are thinking completely opposite than the way that Jesus thinks and the way that Jesus is teaching. What does he do? He doesn't go and start attacking him and saying, be more like this. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He comes and he asks brilliant questions. He finds a common ground. He finds something that he can begin to talk to people about. He knew where they were, notice that. He knew who they were, where they were, and he began to talk to them, and he began to love them where they were at. But we as Christians sometimes, we meet up with people that think differently than we do. And instead of asking a brilliant question or beginning the dialogue or begin building a relationship, we just move on down the road because it's a little uncomfortable for us. Kind of compelling, Kind of convicting when we think that Jesus, he didn't come out bashing. 
He didn't come out slamming. He comes out loving. And he comes out asking questions that gets them thinking about who he is and who they are in him. Do we do that in our life? Do we do that? (laughs) I had a person in my life, I've had many people in my life that have asked brilliant questions at just key events, pivotal moments in my life. One of them I can think of is, is related to a couple people here. Jerry Yoshida. If you don't know it, Jeremy leads worship up here. His, his brother hands out gum in the front. You still hand out gum out there? You still, of course, man. You've been doing that for three years. They're, they're brothers. Well, welcome to family. This is kind of family here. Their, their dad is, was and has been my youth pastor since I was in third grade. And so I've known these guys for, for a long time. But I think of Jerry Yoshida. I think of their father. I think of moments when um, hyperactive, that's a good way to put it, hyperactive Aaron Haven shows up to youth group. You know, you know what I'm saying. Hyperactive Aaron, hyperactive Aaron Haven shows up to youth group and you know, is bouncing off the walls on Sugar Rush and all this stuff. And I think of Jerry Yoshida and I, I think of he, maybe he's looking at me thinking, what a snot-nosed little kid, you know, whatever. But in those pivotal moments of life, he, he would ask and, and pose those questions that got me thinking about who I was, who God was, what life was all about. And I can think back to these, these moments when Jerry took the time to ask these brilliant questions and to care about me. Maybe he didn't understand me, probably not, (laughs) but he loved me where I was at, and he wanted to see me grow in love of Jesus Christ. Can you think of people in your life that have asked you those questions that have spurred you on? Look at Jesus, what is he doing? It's like they're not getting it, and he begins to ask questions to get get them thinking about who he is and who they are in, in, in Christ. So let's look at verse 41 through 44. But he said to them, how can they say that the church is David's son? Or that, that the Christ is David's son. For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And Jesus is building a common ground right now. Who's he talking about? Who's he referring to? Well, David is the second king of Israel. And his descendants ruled Judah until the fall of Jerusalem in 587 BC. This is the David that he's referring to and he's talking to. And he asks the question, he says, How, if the Messiah was David's son, did David, and he's referring back to Psalms 110 verse 1, he's referring back to then, he says, How did David call him his Lord, By saying, the Lord, Yahweh, said to my David's Lord, the Messiah, sit at my right hand. The message was indeed the son of David. The Messiah was indeed the son of David. But he was more. He was greater than David. He was David's Lord. So how can this be? And so he poses this brilliant question. And, and, he, and the people begin to think about this question and, and think about what he's asking. And look in verse 44. He says, David thus called him Lord, so how is he his son? And in verse 44, I think we see the thrust of Jesus' question and the thrust of what he's even teaching us here today. The thrust of the question seems to be that the pre-existence, the deity of the Messiah, that's one, 
And the second thrust seems to be the human Davidic descent of the Messiah. And he's asking both of these to people that would understand it in their setting of who Jesus was, but they don't quite understand who Jesus is. So he begins to ask this question. So church, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? As we sang the song, one of the songs that we sang this morning is one of my favorite songs of all time. It's, we're going through and we're making statements. We're saying, I believe. I believe that Jesus rose again. I believe in the Trinity. We, I believe and we begin to sing these things. And as we look here, Jesus is asking him a question. And what is he saying? He's asking a question about our theology. How many of you, when I say the word theology, just kind of crumble a little bit? I don't, I, don't, I don't need theology. Well, what is theology? Theology is the study or the nature of God. And in essence, Jesus is sitting there and he's asking a question about their theology. Who do you believe that I am? Do you believe I'm just a good teacher? Do you believe I'm just a good man? Do you believe I'm just the Messiah? Do you believe that I'm? And he's asking them the question, what is your theology? What do you think about who I am? Church, our theology, the study and the nature of God and who we think God is, is pivotal. It's so important for us. Is he my Lord or is he the leader of my religion? I want to ask that, I want to ask that for us today. As we think about who God is and we think about who Jesus is, would we say he is my Lord or would we just say he's the leader of my religion? What we think about God And what we think about who he is determines how we act and how we move about our days. And if we think he's just the leader of our religion, we're missing it. Do we think that he is our Lord, our Messiah? How is it possible that Jesus would be your Savior, but not your Lord? How is it possible? Some of us will raise our hands and we'll say, I believe this aspect of who you are. I believe you saved me from hell. I believe you are my savior. But I'm not sure that I believe that you're my Lord. The Lord that has control of my life, if he is my Lord, every part of my life would be under his authority. Church, is every part of our life under his authority? Would we hold our hands out and say, God, I believe you're my Messiah, but I believe you're my Lord, and I surrender every ounce of who I am to you. See, our salvation and our eternal destiny are dependent on what we think about Christ. So he's looking at these individuals Shaking his head, I imagine. And just saying, who do you say that I am? If I'm just your savior, you think I'm going to come and save you from the oppression of Rome. You've got the wrong picture of me. From the very beginning, I am Lord. I am God. Church, who do you say Jesus is? I watched a, a, a quick little YouTube clip yesterday that my friend showed me. And in this YouTube, uh, YouTube clip, it was someone just saying, hey, 
this is about you. And, and they're talking to the church. They're saying, this is about you and you being a better person. And, and this is about you and God is all about you. And, and in that I understand where they're coming from, I go, no, time out. This, this, this church, this is not about us. This is about Jesus. This is from Jesus. This is for Jesus. And we're here because of Jesus. If we're here because we just want to get fire insurance and say, God, thank you for keeping me out of hell. That sounds like a bad place. We have missed it from the very beginning. Is he our Lord? Does everything in our life point to who he is? Or do we say, God, I accept this portions of who you are, but this portion I'm going to keep to myself. I'm not going to surrender this to you. Jesus knew this. His heart was broken. I believe when he asked this question, he didn't ask it in a proud way. He asked it in a heartbroken way, saying, you're not getting me, and I love you so much. I'm going to ask you a question, and the question is going to be, who am I to you? Church, what would you say if Jesus was looking at you in the face today and said, who am I to you? Verse 45. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, notice that, notice that. Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's in his last days and he's still teaching. He's still making disciples. He's still loving. So he looks at his disciples. He's saying, they're not getting it. And he looks at his disciples and begins to talk. And in verse 46, what does he say? He says, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. Jesus had lived among and taught the disciples for years. He knows that when he is gone, which is going to be very, very soon, his disciples will be tempted to turn back to the familiarity of Judaism. He knows that that's going to be a temptation for them. It's just easier to return back to what we knew. And Jesus reminds them how false that way of life had become. And he uses the scribes as an example. He uses this moment to teach his disciples. And what is he teaching them? Well, let's look at the scripture. What did they desire? As you, as you look in this Bible and you look at these, these two verses here in verse 46 and, uh, and 47, what are they desiring right here? Well, they desired one, a display, right? Look at, they, they had long robes, so they, they wanted to look the part. They desired that. They wanted to look the part. How many of you walk around looking the part? I, I, do. I look good though, so... They, they desired a display, long robes. What else did they desire as you, as you look at it? Just, just kind of go through the list there in that verse right there, verse 46. The, the long robes, that would be display. They also desired attention, right? That's how I would summarize it. They, they, they desired attention because they wanted to be greeted in the marketplaces. What, what else does it say? They, they desired prominence. They wanted the important seats in the synagogue. And at banquets. So they wanted that. They wanted, they wanted to be displayed. They wanted to be um, greeted. They wanted attention. And what else? They wanted more money. Look at verse 47. They wanted more money taking from those who did not have much from the widows. And is this the kind of person that Jesus is trying to develop? No, that's why he's looking at his disciples and he's saying, beware. Look at, look at what's happening. 
all that the scribes were displaying and demonstrating is a personality trait that I'm sure none of us have called pride. Pride ruled their lives. Pride makes a person self-centered. As we look at the scribes, what did they want? It was all about them. They were self-centered. I think it's interesting that Jesus is teaching on pride and being self-centered. Where's he headed, by the way? To the cross. He's heading to serve all of us. And he's teaching on pride. He says it's not about us. And what Jesus is teaching, he's teaching it's, it's about his love for us and his love for the world. But yet we, at times, we show up to church, we look good, we want to be greeted, it's about us, it comes from us, it's for us, it makes us feel better. And all along, Jesus is saying, that's not it. We're missing it. It's about a love of a Savior in us. And when we, church, become to be alive in who Jesus is, we get to show it to other people. And Jesus is teaching this as he's marching to the cross the living example of the ultimate act of unselfishness, saying, I'm dying for you. And he's pointing out the scribes and saying, hey, watch out. Watch out, disciples. Don't make this about you. Church, I'm excited about where we're at. Church project, right now. I mean, just look around. There's some great people here. People that are hungry for God. People that are not selfish. People that are meeting together at house churches and, and having, having fun things happen, like, like Carl and, and Carl's house church, okay? Halloween, guess what I did for Halloween? I sat on my driveway, the fire pit, it was awesome. <laughs> Ordered pizza, handed out candy. And some of the first people to come to our house to trick-or-treat was a whole slew of people called the Bryson's House Church. And they showed up, they, they parked their cars, and out came about 400 kids from there, all, all decorated, all excited, just looking for candy. And, and you know, they came and take, took all our candy and then headed on down the road. And, you know, but they're doing life together. Like, they're enjoying life together. That's important, Church. It's important to have relationships that we're growing in that's part of who we are. It keeps pride away from us. It keeps us focused on the right things. It's accountability. I can give you a couple examples. One of them's a living live example here today. We have our friends sitting with us, Miles and, and, and Carrie Bowman, and they've been friends of ours for years and years and years. They've been supporters of Church Project from the very beginning. They're awesome people. Miles and I used to work at a church together as pastors, and we've stayed together throughout all these years. They've been up visiting, and I, I love these, these, this family. I love you guys. But there's a relationship, and it continues. And where did this relationship started? Guess where it started? In a small group back in Houston, Texas. 
years later, we're still connected. Who are you connected with? So that when you begin to get proud, people can look at you and go, warning, warning. When you need encouragement, people can look at you and encourage you. You're in relationship with the, this life is not meant to be alone, lived alone. Here's another example. We just kicked off 33 series this Saturday. Incredible. I have a lot of people laughing. Did I say something backwards? Okay. <laughs> we just kicked off 33 series this Saturday for men. We had 37 men in here in this very room at 6.30 in the morning starting off 33 series. And why? Because men are hungry. Men are saying, I want relationship, I want accountability, I want to be spurred on, I want to look you in the eyes, I want to grow together. And we started with 37 men the first week. I guarantee what's going to happen over the next couple weeks, months, and years, what's going to happen to the men of northern Colorado and in Greeley is going to be phenomenal because it's men laying down and saying, God, it's about you and not about me. So if you're a man in here and you're not coming, please come. Bring others as well. Because every single human being needs to have a relationship with people that are spurring them on to love and good deeds and can call out God in them. So we can be more like God. Jesus asks this brilliant question. He's looking at his disciples. He's teaching them the importance to, to run from pride. He's asking them the question of deep theology. Who do you say that I am? Church, we have an opportunity to go and serve people every single day wherever we go. I get to sit up here. I get to speak. I get to open the Bible and teach us. Why? Because that's my giftings. That's what God has called me to do. But man, we cannot all do this. And I cannot go to the places that you go. I cannot go to the Evans Police Department. I cannot go to the hospitals. I cannot stay home as a, as a mom and raise kids. I cannot go the thousand places that our church goes. And I thank God because I'd be terrible. This is the best that I can do right here. But church, each and every one of us, where has God put you? You're going to put your shoes on tomorrow morning and you're going to go somewhere. Where you go is your mission. Where you go is your purpose. You represent God everywhere that you go. That's exciting. That we were all created on purpose. To do the things that God has asked us and equipped us to do. And oh yeah, why do we do them? Because he loves us. We have an opportunity coming up to take our first mission trip to Haiti. We're going to do it spring break, coming up here in March. We're teaming up with uh, our network church in the Woodlands. They're going to take 10 people. We're going to take 10 people. I think we have seven more spots to go. That means only 10 of us can go. That's it. Out of all of us. Only 10 of us can go to Haiti. And what are we going to do when we go to Haiti? We're going to go and we're going to work in an orphanage. We're going to speak life into young kids that are so stinking cute. Man, they speak Creole. It's awesome. We're going to speak life into them, into the adults. We're going to do VBS. We're going to do construction. We're going to serve and we're going to grow. But you know what? Only 10 of us can go. But all of us can go. 
I'm, I'm asking you right now to pray about. You know, only 10 of us will be able to go, but, but all of us can go in a way that it's expensive to go to Haiti. Would you give to this project? Would you pray about, okay, I may not be able to go, or maybe I can, but I can send somebody. I can give resources for someone to go. Church, let's rally around our missions together. And let's pray for the 10 people that whoever they are, God may be spurring you on. If so, go sign up on the website. If you can go, great. If not, all of us, we can go by praying, by supporting, by being a part of what God's doing. Church, we're going to be different. We're not just going to do something and walk away. We're going to build relationships as a body, and we're going to stay in relationship with each other. Whether it's here on Sunday morning, whether it's house churches, or whether it's our ministry partnerships, wherever we may go, let's move together as his body. We look at verse 47. He says, don't be like these. Verse 47 is a sad one. What are they doing? They devour widows' houses for pretense, make long prayers. They will receive greater condemnation. I had to pause on that word devours. That's intentional, isn't it? These people are so full of pride and so much about them. See, it was the duty of the church and especially the religious leaders to care for the widows. It was, it was their job, but not only did they not care for them, they would mistreat them. The widows had no one to stand up for them. They devoured them. The best illustration I can give you for that, and hopefully you weren't driving in the car next to me, but I love that candy corn that comes out this time of year. And I was driving down I-25. I think I devoured an entire bag in one sitting, like devoured. You know, I, I, I. some made it in my mouth, some didn't. Like, there you go. There's your, there's your picture of devouring. And when I think of the word devouring, the church leaders were doing it to the widows, the people that needed the most help, the most support. It was their responsibility to love them, but they were so full of pride. They had such a false religion that what are they doing? Devouring them. Church, do we devour and mistreat people in the church and then come and put on our Sunday best, ask for the best seats, pretend it's about us? Do we do this? Jesus is teaching, he's looking at his disciples, he's saying this religion is a joke. God sees it. He says their religion is a joke. But look at them, their minds were made up. These scribes, their, their minds were made up, their hearts are hardened to the truth, and the truth could not influence them. Could this be a problem for us today? That our hearts are so hardened to truth that the truth won't even impact us? How open are we when truth opposes what we've always believed? You've had those moments when you're reading the scripture or someone speaks something to you or God reveals something about who he is and that truth opposes what we've always believed? Are we stubborn enough to say it's about us and we're not changing? Or are we open to the truth that God teaches us? Church, I pray with our lives, with our theology, that we focus in on who God 
is. And we are always walking through life with our hands open saying, God, teach me who you are. Let pride stay far from me. Let me be solid in who you are. Unwavering in who you are. Lord, Christ, Messiah. But teach me. Let this never be about me. May this always be about you and your love for me and your love for the world. Church, is Jesus our final authority in our life? I'm going to leave us with one verse today. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he gives us the Great Commission. He sets it up from the very beginning and says, It's about me. I have all authority on heaven and on earth. I want to be your Messiah. I am your Lord. I'm going to ask us just to let God speak to us in this time. I'm going to ask us just close our Bible. I can utter a thousand words this morning. My prayer is that in the utterance of these words that the Holy Spirit was teaching, guiding you and prodding you. I know that you're sitting here and in this place, in this space, sitting in this seat right now is a culmination of all your years of life, every single breath and every experience. So as you sit here right now, can I tell you you're here on purpose? That God has ordained you to be here. He's calculated everything in your life for you to be in this point this morning. It's not by accident. It's not by chance. He wants to show you how much he loves you. Pray that his Holy Spirit is so powerful in your life that even in here this morning, he can begin to transform you. Regardless of whether you say you've been a Christian, you've known him your entire life or not, his spirit can speak to you this morning, right here, right now, and change you. Some of us, we come in here this morning and we are defeated, distraught, confused we need to be reminded of a couple things Jesus has handcrafted you on purpose his love for you is great he wants to be your Messiah and your Lord church will you give him complete control of your life all aspects of it. So in this place, I pray that if you're, I ask that if you're comfortable with it, just hold out your hands in front of you, just palms up in a submissive state saying, God, here it is. My life, my concerns, everything about it. I put in my hand and I give it to you. And God, at the same time, I hold my hands out open just with my heart, just as a, a symbol of saying, God, speak to me. I receive anything you want to show me this morning. And let's just spend some time in silence, you and God, just meditating on who he is. Let him speak to you. Say, God, please speak to me.